We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? D-Lo, baby. D-Lo time. Yes. We'll dive full in-depth uh, on D'Angelo today. Yeah, season review of the 2018-19 season. Obviously, check us out. iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Another quick shout-out. We do have Brooklyn Buzz t-shirts. Check it out. Design Tree slash Off the Glass. If you want to support us anyway, we really appreciate it. But... Diving into the only all-star in the Nets, D'Angelo Russell, who had an incredible season, and he just finished as one of the finalists for most improved player. What are your thoughts on the season he had, Jack, in terms of like a quick review? Uh, I think D'Angelo's season probably highlighted um, the, the Brooklyn Nets' growth. He was the major reason why we took the massive jump with the Karis Levert injury. He stepped up, became the had a forecasted a little bit um, in the hot take marathon for OGG basketball. Didn't necessarily, wasn't super confident on it, but, you know, he, he certainly deserved it. He was an injury replacement, but he deserved to be, no doubt. Um, he was absolutely balling, and, and a key reason for why we had so much success following that losing streak, he was scoring like a madman. He's caught a burst, he's three-point shooting, um, he's passing. Um, he, he was an absolute star this season. He still um, has plenty of stuff to work on when it comes to uh, different parts of his game, but D'Angelo Russell had an incredibly consistent season and was healthy for 81 games. Um, I remember saying that that was his goal for the season to play 82 games. He was one off and um, he, he became an all-star. Yeah, in that one game, he was just rested by the Nets. So it wasn't yep. even like he was out with an injury. And you pretty much summed it up. I think, you know, overall, he made the jump. You know, we saw a glimpse of it last year before pre-injury. He was putting up some big numbers, but he was better this year. He was more of a winning basketball player, and he put up the numbers, and I thought that was huge. You mentioned he stepped up when Levert was out. He stepped up when Dinwiddie was out. Obviously, had the all-star appearance. You know, he was the Nets' best player during the regular season. It's a little rough in the playoffs, but they wouldn't have been in the playoffs if it wasn't for D'Angelo and all the clutch moments he really had throughout the season. 
yeah, he became uh, he he like he, he epitomized the ice in his veins um, signature that he he just had so many different moments um, from shooting and just from scoring outbursts. Um, some massive growth from him, and you know from those around him. You know, Jared Dudley coming in had a real impact on him. But you know, the numbers. I remember forecasting. I didn't expect him to have the biggest season. Um, we both said you know uh, around thirty to thirty-two minutes. I said eighteen points a game. Uh, about seven assists and about four rebounds. He ended up finishing with 21 points, four rebounds and seven assists. So uh, the only thing I was off was the points. And, you know, because his scoring and three-point shooting was so great, it made sense. Yeah, and, you know, I think that was really impressive part of his game. We'll talk about how he improved. But the fact he shot 43% from the field, which isn't amazing, but it's a lot better than shooting 40% from the field. Then also three-point percentage picked up almost at 37% at 36.9. So I thought that was a big jump. But, Jack... What were your, some of your favorite moments from D'Angelo this season? You know, obviously think, it was a lot, but if you had to give me like three or four. Yeah, I think the the one that sticks out the most is the Sacramento Kings game. Yeah. Um, I think that that would be most people's. Um, he was just insane in that game. Um, you know, the I'm built for this shit came from that. Um, the the D'Lo swagger. And it was just something that's, that you just see from the likes of Stephen Curry and LeBron James. It was just a real superstar moment from him. And, you know, when you sort of, we know he's a number two pick. He has all this talent in the world. And he put it all together in, in an impossible circumstance for the team and, and brought us back from the abyss. So that for me was probably quite clearly uh, the D'Angelo moment of the season. But he had plenty of those sort of quarters throughout and, and some consistent performances and just some of these like passes to to Rodions and, and Joe on the cut, just those moments each game were, were something that I just really really liked. And it just showed the chemistry that he, he's developing with all his teammates. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned the Kings one. I think that's the one that sticks out for me. That was really like his star moment. That's like okay, you know, he was an injury replacement for the All Star game, but after you have a performance like that and you put the team on your back and you come back from a deficit like that, that's when it's like, all right, people have to start respecting you as a star because the Kings were doing everything they possibly could to not lose the game because of D'Angelo Russell and he was still able to pull out the win for the Nets. And I thought that was huge. Then obviously getting revenge on the Lakers early in the season, I thought that meant a lot to him, you know, from a personal perspective, that shot he hit against Orlando, that three to give him the lead. And then he did the ice in the veins. And then just the third quarters he had against Boston. I think he had two third quarters against Boston that were just straight up lights out. And that was, you know, anytime you can kind of be scoring at such a high clip and the other team trying to stop you and you're still doing it, that's just like star right there. Yeah, it really is. You know, game um, team scout for the star player. And if you can somehow just throw, make the, the other coaches throw away the scouting report, then, you know, you've done something that the likes of not many players in this league can do. You know, James Harden has entire defenses built around his skill set. D'Angelo Russell still has a ways to go to be considered uh, an MVP candidate, but you know he had his moments, his quarters, and his games. You know, fourteen games with with thirty points or above, and for a guy that barely played, you know, thirty three minutes a game. Um, I know Giannis played thirty two minutes as well this season. Um, so it shows when a team that has depth around you, uh, you can still be a, a real impactful star player. Yeah, and even this isn't a positive moment, but it was a negative he turned into a positive early in the season. You know, he was getting benched during the fourth quarter sometimes. By the end of the season, he was a lock to be on the floor, and he was playing a lot better, and he picked up doing a lot of the smaller things that kind of allowed him to take take the next step and be the star. 
Yeah, and I think that that showed the maturity uh, of him. And he, he consistently always Ted that told the media and told Kenny. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just spitting hot air in the sense that he wanted to be coached. He was, he was open to the feedback, you know, constructive or otherwise. And there were times where I know fans were frustrated and there were times where probably I was a little frustrated as well. But, you know, it all culminated in, you know, a, a pretty successful end to the season. Obviously, you know, the postseason wasn't um, to the stand that we would have hoped. But if you compare it to another sort of guard shooting heavy player in, in Kyrie Irving, you know, he's a, on another level to what D'Angelo Russell is. And he had a pretty um, poor effort when it came to postseason performances as well. So, you know, the best of them. And hopefully uh, it will hold well uh, in terms of going forward for D'Angelo Russell because uh, we hope to have him going forward and, and in plenty of other postseasons for the next few years. Yeah, in terms around someone the same age, you know, Donovan Mitchell really struggled. And that's a guy that's, you know, more in terms of similar to where you would rank them in the NBA. But just to give a couple shout outs to people who shared their favorite moments on Twitter. Will, who's a regular guest on the show, said he had about 25 performances. But the Sacramento one, obviously, the All-Star game, Orlando game, the triple OT against Cleveland where he took over in that third overtime was pretty big. Uh, Toronto game. Uh, that Hawks game where it was like in one forties. Uh, yeah, he put up a lot of points in that one. The Boston game in January, and then he said every single rainbow three and floater. And then Corey Waldron, who fills in on the show sometimes as well, he said that comeback win and performance against the Hornets really stands out. Yeah, I think all of those certainly do. Um, and we know Will has a real in-depth knowledge of D'Angelo. He's done plenty of good work on him. And 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 in that Charlotte game, you know, I was a little bit disappointed that I had to. I mean, it wasn't disappointing that I had to get recapped on the buzz because no other pod does that. But to miss <laughs> that sort of live and, and be flying in the air was was a little bit annoying. But um, at the same time, you know, D'Angelo Russell just had the fact that Will was like, oh, he had 25 moments throughout the season. You know, the season before, there was just, you know, glimpses throughout of the, of the star that D'Angelo Russell could become. And I know consistency was one thing that we talked about in the player preview that we really wanted from him. And for the most part, from probably about, you know, 70 games or so, 75 games, D'Angelo Russell was quite consistent and he he breached that gap between his best and his worst. You know, he, when he was bad, he was still having an impact. If he was shooting poorly, he was still dishing out assists. He still looked aggressive on the boards and such. Yeah, 100%. And I think uh, where last season, and obviously a lot of it had to do with the injury, you saw moments and quarters and stretches. This year, you saw full games where he was really good. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, I, I think that that's still an area he can develop. Um, but I think that's an area the team can develop as well because I don't think that there were many top-line four-quarter performances. There were some really uh, amazing quarters throughout the season, but um, no, no, apart from a couple of games, you know, maybe against Houston, uh, maybe against Orlando, um, there weren't really many great four-quarter performances. Now, talking about ideal lineups for D'Angelo, what do you have? Uh, I think next to him, it's it's hard to sort of say whether you want, I think you want a guy who doesn't necessarily want the ball in his hands that much. D'Angelo Russell has a really high usage rate, so you probably put a Joe Harris uh, and maybe like a Tobias Harris at the three or the four next to him. And then Rodion, who I think has had great chemistry with him all season. And then Jared Hallam for the for the pick and roll combination. That's just the, the lineup that springs to mind uh, that will probably get the best out of D'Angelo. Not to say that Karis Levert couldn't have a positive impact on him, but I think Karis also works best when he has the ball in his hands and he's driving. And D'Angelo can certainly play off ball uh, and, is a, and is a really capable shooter, but you know the, the usage indicates that you know he needs the ball in his hands, so to speak, and, and maybe that's an area that he can improve on too. 
Yeah, no, I would agree. I think, you know, less dominant ball handlers, guys who don't really want the ball other than catch and shoot situations or cuts to the rim. Obviously, the pick and roll partner being Jared Allen or whoever it may be. And then you want shooters at two, three and four. I think depending on the defense, though, because we saw this a lot closer to the postseason or when teams realized that D'Angelo was the guy and Spencer Dewey was out, having a, at least a second ball handler, even if it's a semi ball handler, somebody who's just comfortable with the ball in his hands does benefit him if he's really like scorching because of the traps he'll get in the pick and roll. Very fair point. Yeah, I think towards the end of the season, Spencer uh, and him had uh, a lot more games where they were both able to contribute, uh, especially in clutch moments as well. And then Karis Avert, you know, popped in there uh, a, a few games uh, as well. So uh, I think that that's a, an incredibly valid point. And one thing we saw from Karis and D'Lo earlier in the year, we didn't see it as much towards the end because their chemistry wasn't quite the same because, you know, Karis missed so many games, was a lot of cuts to the rim. You know, he hit him a lot of times on those rim runs. So if that could kind of change up going into next year, that would be a big plus. But success or disappointment for the season? Uh, yeah, resounding success. <laughs> Anything disappointing about it? Uh, I think that there were moments where, you know, probably early in the season where you wanted D'Lo to just be, he just frustrated you. And, and I think that a lot of this Nets team, you know, a lot of these players and, and, and the organization can be frustrating because we know what this team can do. We know the potential, you know, the potential of the players. Um, and, and there were moments where D'Lo would take some bad shots where there's just like, oh, D'Lo, just drive it in, just drive it in, draw the contact. Um, and, you know, but I think that those were just moments interspersed throughout the season, not necessarily anything that stands out, which I think is, you know, a, a really good sign. Yeah, the only real disappointments I think that stick out like strongly would be that turnover against New Orleans early in the year, uh, that shot early in the shot clock at the end of the game against OKC, and then obviously the postseason wasn't necessarily how he would have liked it to finish. And, you know, some of it was Philly's defense, but also some of it was just him missing shots that he usually hits. Yeah, I think Ben Simmons deserves a lot of credit despite the fact that my love has waned for him. <laughs> he was a he, he played some really good defense across the entire postseason and just he's he was too big and, and too rangy and, and too strong for a guy like D'Lo. And uh, yeah, I think that those moments, you know, the turnovers, I think that they were almost they become like sort of turning and learning points for, for D'Angelo in terms of and as well as that clock sort of uh, management like you sort of talked about, Nick. In the latter points of the season when the Nets were in, you know, close games of five points or less. You know, D'Angelo, while it wasn't, you weren't the most confident when he had the ball in his hands, he did prove it. You know, he, he worked the clock a lot better. Um, he, he took care of the ball a lot better. Um, and that just shows growth and, and maturity. Yeah, he. I mean, I think he learned from the disappointing moments early in the season, being more under control and hitting some of those big shots. I would say there's probably more big shots that he hit than turnovers or bad shots that he took at the end of the game. So I think you have to look at it as a positive and talking positive. What improvements did you see in his game this year? There's obviously a lot, so just start listing them. <laughs> yeah, I think that the one that sticks out the most has to be the the, the shooting off the dribble, um, mm. the, the pull-up three. Um, it was just, it, it was money a lot of the time. You just felt like, you felt confident in D'Angelo taking those threes. The, the arc on the shot, it, it just looked like, it, it wasn't, I'm not going to, it might be sacrilegious to say it was Steph-like, but you just, in, in in the highest compliment, you just felt confident when D'Lo was taking that shot. And if it didn't go in, it was more of a surprise. Yes, you know, 37% isn't amazing, but when you're taking the volume that he did, um, I think that that's a, a pretty good number um, for, for D'Angelo. That floater game um, was something just out of the highlight playbooks. It was just the amount of times I used the rainbow emoji when I was just breaking down his games. Um, it, 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 it begs belief. 
Um, so I think that those two shots uh, for him were, were insane. And just his ability to to read the play and his basketball IQ increased a lot this season. When to make the pass, when to take the shot, um, when to take the mid-ranger, when to step back, when to drive, when to pass. Um, and I think that just the understanding um, from the 22-year-old, uh, 23-year-old, I think it might be now, um, is just something that I think shows real growth and, and, and a lot of credit, like I mentioned earlier, goes to his teammates, goes to his coaches, and you know he's become a leader. And I think that that leadership is reflected in, in his play and that comfort level is reflected in his play and relationships as well. A hundred percent. I think that's the one thing that stuck at the most. I want to say it's almost like he has more control, but his game is under control. It's like just better basketball plays that lead to winning. And I think he yeah. did a lot more of that instead of maybe he cutting out some of the flashy stuff, but he did the flashy stuff when he needed to. And you mentioned the floaters, a couple of floaters that were as high as the shot clock. You know, he was yeah. dropping those against anybody in the league. And that was really fun to watch. That was probably, you know, some of his major highlights, obviously just shot making in general felt like this year he just made more shots than he made last season. You know, it was a lot of similar stuff, but he was just making them at a higher rate, put a lot of work in. You mentioned three-point shooting was really huge. I thought his passing was better this year. I thought it was more on target, where last year he was making some good passes, but they weren't necessarily catchable passes or passes that were easy to catch and shoot. thought there was probably a slight improvement on D. Not a ton, but enough that it would stick out. He had active hands at certain points in the game. Uh, his fake game was really good this year. I think he utilized that a lot more inside. We were at a point in the season, we saw this live a couple of times, you know, take the pass, hit the teardrop, easy thing to do. And then he was more clutch. And like you ended with, the leadership took another level up this year. It really did, all those sort of things. And and I think that they all had that sort of, you know, effect on each other. They were all sort of symbiotic in, in a weird way. You know, the passing and, and the, hit, the shot sort of influenced the passing. When he made the nice pass, it just gave him confidence. It was all just, like you sort of said, it all just came together um, really perfectly. He's what I would define as a rhythm player. If he's yeah. out of rhythm, he's not going to be great. You know, if he's in rhythm, he might be unstoppable like we saw against the Kings in some of those third quarters against Boston. Yeah, no, I don't think he found rhythm in the playoffs. So yep. I think that that's probably the, the major reason where you, you talk about, I think any NBA player, there is a, an artistic rhythmic element to, to the game in general. You know, when you're a three-point shooter, you want those shots. You want the first shot to sort of fall in. Uh, when you're a ball handler, you want the you, you don't want the turnovers happening or you want to hit your first shot. You want to drive to the line. You want to see the ball go in the basket. So I think that the rhythmic nature for, for De'Anza Russell, I, I think a lot of, um, I think there was a New York Times article or some article speaking about, you know, De'Anza Russell as like a, a basketball artist. I know a lot of players have that sort of artistic element. You know, basketball is jazz, as they say. So I think that, you know, when D'Angelo, when everything's sort of flowing um, and he sort of, you know, obviously is creating that flow um, and in the teammates around him, finding, you know, open cutters and open shooters and, you know, hitting the teardrop and, and hitting his sort of pull-up mid-ranger and pull-up three, then it all sort of just comes together. A hundred percent. And I think that's going to be the challenge for him is being able to find rhythm in the playoffs because the opposing team is going to do everything they can to keep players out of rhythm. The game is so different. It's so much tighter. So obviously that's going to be a next step in his game and leading to that. What are areas he can improve on this upcoming season? Yeah, I think for me, the, the drive game is, is the number one thing. Um, I think that, you know, he showed spurts of it. And, and I think in the Sacramento Kings game was one area where we, we just saw this sort of aggressive nature from, from D'Angelo. There's a lot of times where, you know, he's a, he's a pretty solid kid um, and, and he's built quite well. He, he takes care of his body well. He eats well. He trains well. Um, so I think that that's one area of his game where, you know, if you're just looking at what James Harden does, you know, another left-handed left shooter, D'Angelo Russell has a much better mid-range game, 
Whereas James Harden's game, which increases his, you know, just efficiency overall, is the fact that he just gets to line, you know, 10 to 15 times a game. D'Angelo Russell can get to, get to the line just five times, uh, five times a game. And that just in, changes absolutely everything. So I think that's the number one thing. And I think it's one thing that he can do. Um, he is a little bit one-dimensional that we've sort of seen throughout this season. He always drives to his left. He always finishes off his left. Um, he rarely wants to draw contact. So I think that, you know, if you're the coaches in, in the offseason, you're his individual personal trainer, you know, you get those sort of bags that we sort of throw the sort of, you know, soft bags at him yep. where he has to sort of draw the contact and that sort of, and just become, he has to become comfortable with drawing that contact and, and sort of crave it in a way because we know Spencer and Karras sort of have, have done that. And, you know, if that's something that I remember saying about Karras Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie really before that they need to get better at it and they, it, they turned it into a strength, then there's no reason why DeAndre Russell can't either. You know, I know a lot of people are sort of not necessarily as high on his ceiling, but there's plenty of reasons why he can become an even better player. And I think that that's probably the main one that sticks out. And the fact that I can't think of a, a, a ridiculous amount of other ones, um, I think that just becoming uh, more effective, in, like you sort of said, Nick, you know, in the half-court offense, I think is probably another sort of thing where you want your best players to sort of just be able to get a bucket out of. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell's one of those guys that we sort of, went to in, in those sort of instances, but towards the, the players, it was sort of Karis Levert who, be, who became that guy. I think that if you have both of those options, it just makes, you know, the team much more dangerous. And we talked about rhythm just, you know, a couple of minutes ago. And the fact is getting to the free throw line will kind of help you find your rhythm. So I think that is a big part of his game he needs to improve. And you mentioned driving. I think what he needs to really do is just improve his strength. You know, I think a lower body strength because he is a solid kid. He has good size. He has a good frame. But I think he needs to put a little bit more weight on, similar to what we saw from Karras from last season to this season. I think that made a major improvement because he wasn't getting knocked off balance. You see D'Angelo get, you know, contact in the paint sometimes. He tries to sell it really hard. And I think some of that's him just not being big enough to take the contact. So if he's able to add a little bit more weight, like we talked about, getting into your mid-20s allows you to do that a little bit better. So with that, I think he'll get better at driving. And then, honestly, inside finishing, there's a couple times where he misses shots at the rim. I don't know if it's because he's so open, but he just needs to get better finishing inside. Uh, defensively, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement. I don't think he's terrible as he was when he first came in the league, but there's still areas where he can be more consistent. You know, if he could add another step on that three ball, you know, just up a little bit notch, maybe a little bit closer to 40%, that'd be huge. Then in certain instances, I think quicker decisions, you know, he gets a little sticky with the ball where he's just kind of trying to isolate, but that's part of his game. And then when he gets the switches, I think trying not to settle as much for the step back three and trying to attack the big a little bit more, but that'll come with more strength and more uh, comfortability attacking inside. Yeah, it all comes down to, to confidence. You know, you can just tell when Delo's confident and, and in rhythm and in motion that, you know, he's an, a, a nigh on unstoppable force. So uh, I think that, you know, improvements to his game in the offseason, you know, um, I think that he's shown rapid improvement in a very short amount of time, like a lot of our other players have. And that's generally when you see the improvements in the, you know, sort of early 20s, the sort of first three to five seasons of your career. And then by, you know, season seven, season eight, you're sort of solidified and you're peaking uh, in your sort of powers. So D'Angelo Russell is by far no way, nowhere near that sort of peak level that I think he can get to. Uh, but we've sort of seen glimpses of it throughout the season. And you mentioned confidence, and I think you mentioned the Sacramento game. He was confident attacking the rim in that Sacramento game, whatever it may be. Maybe it was the rim protectors on the Kings, whatever it was. He felt like a different level of confidence. We didn't see that, you know, maybe the rest of the season or only in certain occasions. So if you can kind of keep building off of that. But talking about D'Angelo in his position, where does he rank at the point guard position? Yeah, I think this one, Nick, just looking on just in general, um, I remember I sort of saying, 
what range is he sort of in? You know, is he top 10 range? Is he top 15 range? You know, I think he's in a similar sort of range to, you know, guys like Jamal Murray, guys like Mike Conley. I think he's just under the rung of uh, of a guy like Kemba Walker, um, who's probably, you know, the, the seventh or eighth best point guard. Um, I think he's probably better than Kyle Lowry now. I think he's on the same level as a guy like Eric Bledsoe. Um, so I think that he's probably around the top eight to top 11 range. Um, and I think that he can continue to sort of grow because a lot of the guys that are sort of at, in the sort of top five, top 10, you know, Kai Irving's is, is one of the best, you know, um, I don't think he's going to beat the likes of, you know, Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook. Um, Russell Westbrook's obviously going to be going down, um, you know, obviously uh, of his age and, uh, the general lack of shot that he apparently ha- tends to have these days, and Chris and the Paul injuries. Robert. It's like the what third straight offseason where Russell Westbrook had some type of cleanup injury, yeah, cleanup just, surgery. I think that just he's so relentless with his body, and uh, a lot of the time it doesn't seem to affect him. And and maybe this this cleanup surgery is the one that sort of uh, the, the the straw off the camel's back. And you know, Chris Paul is obviously going to be waning as well. So I think that there's a, a point where D'Angelo can push near that top five, but. I think that when you're talking about Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, uh, Kyrie Irving, that sort of range is is probably out of the realms of possibility for a guy like D'Angelo. But he can certainly push up and you know become a Kemba Walker type, and uh, you know I think if whatever you want to count Drew Holiday as a combo sort of guard. But you know he is you know, he's growing. I think he's probably going to push top five at some point if he continues to grow. Yeah, I think he's probably like top ten right now by but. By the end of next season, I could easily see him being, you know, top seven or right on the cusp of that top five. Like you mentioned, the three guys at the top really aren't going to change over the next few seasons. Some of the other guys could deal with injuries or whatever it may be. You know, a year or two ago, we're probably talking John Wall being locked in the top five. And now with the injuries that he's had, that's probably not going to happen moving forward. Out of, I think that um, our top 50, you know, Corey and I had a really tough time at this sort of range. With guys that I sort of mentioned, you know, Mike Conley, Eric Bledsoe, Kemba Walker, DeAnza Russell, um, and even Jamal Murray, who I think had a much better off uh, postseason than DeAnza Russell did. What sort of range is, is DeAnza Russell at? Is he in the middle of that list? Is he at the top of that list? Uh, you mean just in terms of the guys right now? I think yeah. if you're basing it off the regular season, I think he was better than a lot of those guys in terms of the load he had to carry and the production he put up. But then if you're looking at it for like, all right, who's just like the top players that position and we're taking like a body of work, I think he's more towards, you know, like the bottom-ish. But it's tough to say because some of those guys can really fluctuate. If you're asking me like who I would take him over, like him and Jamal Murray are pretty similar, but I think Delo's definitely a way better passer, so I'd probably give him the nod. I'd probably take him over a guy like Eric Bledsoe as well. So I think it's easy to kind of take him over some of those guys, especially because he's so young and we talked about all the improvements he can really make to his game. And a lot of it, I think personally for him to improve is just putting on more muscle and getting physically stronger. Yeah, and I think that the argument you can make for D'Angelo as well is that Jamal works best because he has another start right next to him. Whereas and one of the best bigs in the league, and he takes away the duties of running the offense, which I think a lot of people undersell for a point guard. Running the offense isn't just like, oh, yeah, well, the coach is going to call some plays. Like, you're bringing the ball up the court every time, and it's your job to make sure everybody is involved. Yeah, and I think that the if we're looking at, you know, I think Mike Conley is the career that, you know, D'Angelo Russell could look to and go, look, this is a guy that I could easily become or I could take that next step and sort of become in the upper echelon where a, a guy like Kemba Walker, who in er- the early points of the season was playing MVP-level basketball. So um, I, I don't think that D'Angelo is a guy to rest on his laurels. And despite the fact that he's enjoying some off-season time with his boy Devin Booker and, you know, Kevin Durant's commenting on it and having a bit of fun with it as well, 
um, I think that we we should see and hopefully we'll see some continued improvements from D'Angelo. Yeah, as long as he keeps playing uh, private. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> moving on, uh, what's D- this is kind of almost a combination for like the next three portions of the show. D'Lo moving forward to the Nets, his offseason impact, and then his next contract. So we can all kind of take it as one. I guess you want to start with, do you think he'll be back with the Nets next season? Uh, I think that I'm... Give me nine... a percentage. I'll give me yeah. a card. <laughs> yeah, I was literally going to say probably 90% confident that he'll be back with the, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Dan uh, Dan Favale posted a, an article um, on NBA Math or Bleacher Report. Um, the fact that who is going to be the team that would offer D'Lo that sort of max anyway. Um, the Suns. Maybe they don't have a heap of cap space to go uh, ridiculously high um, unless they were to get rid of some guys like TJ Warren or the like. Uh, the Bulls, um, but, you know, Levine and Russell, is that something you're going to want to do? Uh, and then the Pacers or the Jazz, uh, I doubt that those teams are going to them, max themselves out. And I think that their probably priorities will probably switch tack to a guy like uh, Mike Colling, who we've mentioned on this episode. And, um, you know, uh, Cam has a great article on OGDBasketball.com about as well. So I think that there is a, a strong, strong, strong likelihood that we see D'Angelo Russell back. What number? I'm not 100% sure uh, because, you know, Sean Marks has been the guy to sort of throw out uh, cap and offer sheets before to sort of put other teams in in, in prickly situations. Uh, it might come back to bite him this offseason, but uh, it's a matter of time and it's a matter of waiting it out. Yeah, it's the teams you mentioned that really intrigued me are the Pacers and the Jazz. And, like, I've noticed a lot of, you know, Jazz fans, writers, whatever it may be, thinking that the Jazz might be okay uh, overpaying D'Angelo Russell because they have such a hard time attracting free agents. And if they were to add him, they'd have D'Lo, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. And now you're in a situation where you can kind of protect D'Angelo's lack of defensive ability with a guy like Gobert or Donovan Mitchell, who's a solid defender, and the other guys in that team. So the Jazz would probably be like that sneaky team for me that could come in and make a big offer sheet to kind of force the Nets price up. The Pacers would be interesting too. You could probably make an argument out of those two teams. Both of them are probably going to go out of Conley, like you said. The one that misses out, maybe they make an offer to D'Angelo Russell if he's not already picked up by the Nets at that point. But I would agree. I'd put it at 85 to 90%. I really only see the possibility of them not being with the Nets if it's like, Katie and Kyrie saying, all right, we're coming as a package deal to the Nets. So that would be the only way I really don't think he's brought back. I would even I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets match maybe to a little bit of an overpay. Not a full max deal, but maybe it's a million or two more than they want to pay. They might just match the deal to kind of keep the team together, believe in him and the improvements he can make in his game. Yeah, and I think that, you know, D'Lo has been the sort of a heartbeat and soul and, and marketable franchise dude of this team, you know. The guy who you see on Instagram, who you see on TMZ and, and you know, all those sort of things. So I think that, you know, he's the, he is the, the heart and soul of this team in, in a lot of ways when it comes to, you know, attracting free agents. You know, the, when we spoke about Karis LeVert in terms of his ability to, to lure free agents, he spoke about D'Angelo Russell being an all-star. And I think that D'Angelo Russell and, and another, you know, uh, another superstar on a team is a, a top four level sort of um, NBA playoff team. So um, I, I think that there might be some teams looking at it. And I think the Utah Jazz is a really good one, Nick, because you know, I think that that one-two young backcourt combination and under a really great coach in, in Quinn Snyder as well, who has, you know, defensive acumen and, and the ability to get, you know, defensive acumen out of anyone, um, I think would be a, a really intriguing prospect, especially with, you know, the Golden State Warriors likely to be on the, the downswing of their dynasty. Um, 
that would be a really intriguing thing that we'll have to it's going to be a wild off season for and in terms of the priorities that these sort of front offices have uh it's going to be uh, very very intriguing yeah and it's almost going to be like dominoes i feel like after we are you know a couple moves happen everything's going to start to speed up and pick up but jack what do you think is the contract that he'll end up signing if he's back with the nets um what's the max that he can get nick uh i could look that up for you in just one second i think it's 27 million if i'm not mistaken i thought it was as well i know that the number throughout the season that we've talked about has fluctuated and changed i know initially i was like oh the zach levine number is the one that i'm most comfortable with four years 76 million dollars but he's better than that he's a lot better than that and then the tax sort of change where it's like oh the aaron gordon number is probably something more along the lines you know four years 84 million dollars where it gets sort of i think it gets front loaded or, or, or backloaded. i can't remember which which um, way it is I'm not 100 sure of that contractual status but um, i think you know anywhere from 19 to 24 25 million dollars would be you know a comfort sort of level I don't think he deserves the, the sort of max. Um, I don't think he deserves a Carl a Anthony Towns sort of extension, um, a Devin Booker sort of extension. Um, I, I think that just because I think he should be willing to take some unders just because of the, the fact that he's gotten so much better because of the Brooklyn Nets organization. Whereas I think Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns were just going to be stars no matter where they are. And Devin Booker has been in in a really horrible organization. And yes, you can argue that, you know, a guy like Andrew Wiggins somehow got a max extension, but um, he, he promised that he played some defense and he certainly hasn't done that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be horribly uh, underwhelmed or horribly, you know, surprised if he did get that max deal. But um, we want to maintain that flexibility for, for attracting other guys. But D'Lo has certainly made it a, a tricky proposition. I think that we've spoken about the fact that he, underperformed in the postseason maybe shaved a, a couple million dollars off that sort of deal that he could be expecting if he had that, an absolute stud like of an offseason like if you replace Karis Levert's performances with D'Angelo Russell I think we could be talking about a max guy yeah no I think if he had like a lights out postseason and even if maybe the Nets had a little bit more success and they were closer to pushing the six or seven games maybe we're talking max and to give the max numbers it'd be 27 in the first year 29 in the second third year 30 mil fourth year 31 and fifth year 33 so that's obviously a lot of money you're kind of hoping that he's taking a major jump here off from that deal i would say i would think the max amount of money i would probably want to do is like 25 mil i think like four years 20 uh, you know 100 million over the course of the four years would be ideal if it's a couple more than that i wouldn't be you know, super mad, but I think you don't want to give him the max because I think it's a little bit too much, and I don't know if he'll ever live up to being worth $33 million. No, I don't think that, you know, if you're comparing, you know, I think that Bradley Beal's on like $26, $27 million, you know, a year. I don't think um, D'Angelo Russell is as good as Bradley Beal right now. I think he could be. I think he could be on that sort of range. Um, I don't think his ceiling is as high as that that sort of, you know, max, max guy like Carl Anthony Towns, who is one of the most talented players at his position. Whereas I don't think D'Angelo Russell, like we sort of spoke about in sort of the positional ranking, is going to get to be a Damian Lillard or a Kyrie Irving or a, or a Stephen Curry. I'll happily eat my words if that's the case. And he does end up uh, rounding out his game into becoming a, a real bona fide superstar. But I just can't see where he reaches that level. You know, I'm, I'm high on him as a Brooklyn Nets fan and as just an NBA observer. Um, and higher than a lot of other people are, especially sort of general NBA pundits. But I don't think that, I think you need to be realistic about what he can be. And I think, you know, a $30 million a year player, 
I don't think D'Angelo Russell is that at this point in his career. Maybe he proves us wrong. And when he's 25, 26, he's lighting it up in the playoffs, you know, alongside Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard or whoever it might be. Um, but I'm just thinking and projecting forward. I can't necessarily see it. Yeah, I think the major thing for him is just getting easy buckets, like getting inside and scoring inside. And all the guys you mentioned of being like the elite of the elite, you know, he is good a three-point shooter as Steph is. He does get inside and he finishes inside really well. Same thing for Dame, same thing for Kyrie. If you were to, D'Angelo was able to make a jump and get some more of those easy baskets and get to the free throw line more, I think you'd feel more confident about that. But the fact he hasn't done it yet is a little concerning, I think, in terms of the big picture. But like we said, he's only 23 years old. Would you be surprised if, D'Angelo only signed like a two-year deal, like a two-year, you know, $50 million deal. Because um, I've heard people mention that as a concept because maybe he, want, he, needs a, he wants to prove a little bit more to the Nets and the Nets want to see a little bit more before they invest long-term at a really high number. I think it'd be silly if he were to do that. I think that if you are just an NBA player, there's just so much volatility in terms of the things can change at the drop of a hat. You know, you look at John Wall and the fact that, you know, he – suffered his horrible injuries but he's got that money locked up so yeah for his indiv- <laughs> yeah for his individual security and his financial future you just want that money you know you know you might take some slight unders for it but you would much rather have you know four years 80 million dollars than you know two years 40 million dollars and you know um suffer an injury because d'angelo russell has suffered a, a few injuries along the way we're not saying that he's necessarily injury prone but it's not to say that he can't suffer another one that could prevent him from having some long-term money and, and security that he probably deserves. And, and I think that it'd be silly if his agency or if he were to sort of go, no, nah, I can prove it, prove it again. You know, um, you know, you look at Nerlens Noel in the fact that he had four years, 65 million around that sort of range on the, on the market. And he chooses to knock it back because he thinks he deserves more. Just take the, take the bona fide money that's, that's offered to you, my man. Um, I think that he deserves a lot of money. Um, I don't think he deserves an inordinate amount of money, but he'd be silly if he weren't to take, you know, that security for the extra $30, $40 million to just bet on himself. Um, I'd I respect him, but I'd also think he's a little bit silly. Yeah, I think you look at it from both ways. I think you could definitely say, oh, you're messing around with too much money. But we've seen it on the positive side where players have gone on and signed the shorter deals. Like Julius Randle, for example, he signed a deal last year. Now he has a player option for this year that he'll probably opt out of, and he'll probably get a bigger contract in that case. So I think it could go both ways. But since he's already going to get such a large sum, I don't think it would make sense. You know, Julius Randle wasn't getting big offers last year because of the way the salaries were. With so many teams having cap space this year, there's a chance that you could take the, you know, the two-year deal and then go into the, that offseason and not a ton of teams have cap space. So then you could have kind of screwed yourself. So I think, you know, you could look at it from both ways. But, Jack, how much is having D'Angelo on the roster, let's say the Nets lock him up or they're agreed to a, a contract, they don't officially sign him until later on in the offseason because of salary cap things and whatnot. Does he attract another star to the Nets? Yeah, I think it certainly does help me. You know, we spoke about it in the Karis Avert podcast as well, the fact that, you know, guys, you know, they have good relationships with D'Angelo Russell. You know, he is, you know, in, in a similar sort of vein. You know, he's friends with Kyrie Irving. He's friends with uh, Kevin Durant. You know, they're sort of not necessarily the best of buds as, as KD and Kyrie are or, or Kyrie and Jimmy are. But, you know, he's got those relationships with the with the star players and the fact that his game is increasing, you know, only garners that respect even further. So I think that guys will want to play with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, a guy who isn't, may look like a selfish player, but if you look at his numbers and the way that he really plays the game, he certainly isn't that. And I think that he can be at times a little bit too selfless, where you want him to sort of take the shot a little bit more and sort of get that sort of 
maybe Spencer Dinwiddie mold about him, where it's just like, we want you to take that shot, um, D'Angelo. So I think that he can attract them. He's not going to be, you know, a, a LeBron James, but then LeBron James is sort of, you know, way, waiting in that sort of um, respect. Um, but you have talent on the team. Uh, I think that no matter who it is, it's going to garner, you know, uh, other free agents and at least, you know, get, make them have a look. You know, uh, Mark Stein and Stephen A. Smith, all these guys are reporting that, you know, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, you know, People in Kyrie's camp are being swayed in the fact that they, they're trying to sway him and push him towards Brooklyn. I don't know what you believe. There's, it's going to be months and months of this sort of stuff until we sort of find out what the reality is. But uh, having DeAndre Russell on this team certainly isn't a negative. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that kind of would be attractive for free agents is his passing game, his ability to kind of set up guys and make their life easier. And just hypothetically, if the Nets were to add a big star and D'Angelo was kind of taking a step back, I don't think he's bad as a true floor general. Obviously, he's still a good scorer, but if he doesn't have to score as much, he can take more efficient shots and he can get those assist numbers up. Because I think that's an area of his game where he's really good and probably underrated. And we didn't even talk about it enough is he's a really good passer and he's really good at running the offense and setting up his teammates and kind of anticipating them on the cuts, the pick and roll, whatever it may be. And we saw a couple passes this year across the court to Joe Harris for threes that were just amazing. So. I wouldn't be opposed if I was a star looking to play with D'Angelo Russell. He might have put up bigger numbers, but I could see his scoring numbers drop a little bit and his assist numbers pick up and his efficiency pick up because of playing with more talent. Yeah, I think that that, you know, is is certainly uh, a point that is is valid in many ways. But if, you, if you're playing devil's advocate, if you take the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands, does he... Um, get that rhythm that we sort of spoke about in, in, the, in the earlier portions of the podcast because, you know, you just want to have the basketball in your hands a little bit. Obviously, he is going to be the floor general, um, most likely, depending on who comes in. But, you know, if it were to be Kyrie Irving, just as a hypothetical, you know, you're putting the ball in, in the hands of Kyrie Irving, you know, most of the time, or most possessions. Uh, obviously, you can stagger minutes in, in certain ways and Coach Kinnick can come up with some creative sort of methods. You know, Kevin Durant has showed um, in, in Golden State that he will happily play off the ball. Uh, but at the end of the games, you know, I'd much rather have the ball in Kevin Durant's hands than literally anyone's in the NBA. So it's not a slight to D'Angelo Russell to say that I would rather have it in Kevin Durant's hands. Um, and, and the same with any of the stars. You know, they want the ball in their hands. But, you know, D'Angelo Russell's passing, uh, I think, is in the elite sort of sector, like you mentioned, Nick. So that certainly is a is a sort of uh, a point that, that other free agents will look at. And, and they just know this guy's game. You know, they've had to scout from, They've had to play against him. They've been on the receiving end of, of some performances. And, and they've just seen how talented he is. So I think that D'Angelo Russell is probably with Kaos of it, the sort of two guys and the fact that they've got youth on their side as well. The fact that they seem quite selfless and, and really nice guys and, and just part of a, a really nice culture that Brooklyn has built and, and is continuing to build. Um, I think the free agents, we're already in the conversation. So whoever it ends up being, like we've sort of spoken about, um, is something that I think D'Angelo Russell could be a part of. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I'm complete, as you know, I'm opposed to that being Kyrie. If he's being the floor general, it'd be with a guy like KD or Kawhi or Jimmy Ball or Tobias Harris. And I think he can find rhythm in his game, even if it's not necessarily scoring. I think as a passer, you know, you still find rhythm if he's, you know, hitting guys on cuts. Your just overall feel is kind of making you feel good about what's going on. So I think it could still have a positive impact depending on how ball dominant the guy is who they pick up. But like you said, having a guy like D'Angelo and Karis LeVert, especially at their age you're at, think if you're, you know, when you're late 20s or early 30s, whatever it may be, you'd feel comfortable with these guys getting better the longer you're here so they could kind of take some of the load off of you. Yeah, and that's literally what Karis LeVert sort of said. 
you know, Kevin Durant, you know, sort of in his early 30s and despite the fact that he's playing maybe the best basketball of his career, you know, he's not going to be doing that for the next five years. You know, he's going to have to sort of lessen the load and he's, he's done that before, you know, in the regular season, he's seen a responsibility to, to guys like Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry on nights and, you know, he's become a much better passer, uh, a much better defender in his time in Golden State and, you know, we've seen him play along a sort of ball dominant point guard before in Russell Westbrook. So, uh, I think that Kevin Durant is, is the ideal free agent for anyone in this market. But um, I've sort of spoke about, you know, talking myself into the Kyrie Irving thing on, on a previous podcast. And, you know, I think talent just, you know, wins out overall. And I think you figure it out and at the end of the day because, you know, next year's free agent class isn't going to be as great. And, you know, how good is the draft class? And at the same time, I know that this year's draft class isn't great. And I wouldn't necessarily think that the Nets are going to get a ready-made you know, starter or, or, or in, in terms of or at that pick 17. So um, I think you just got to add talent in as many ways as you possibly can. What do you think about the possibility of D'Angelo and any sign and trade deals? I know I've heard Pelicans people mention if there was any type of Anthony Davis traded, probably either have to include Karis LeVert or would have to include D'Angelo Russell in a sign and trade to New Orleans. If it got you Anthony Davis, then I'm all for it. Um, but I don't necessarily see it happening. I think that sign and trade deals are a lot more complicated um, and I know it happened with Chris Paul. Um, and I think that there has to be a level of understanding between the two organizations and the players and, and the agents and, and that sort of stuff. I think that that's, um, you know, certainly a possibility. But in terms of percentage levels that I'd put on that in terms of happening, I'd put it you know, less than 10% in the single digits of you know likelihood of, of D'Angelo Russell's of being in a sign and trade deal for a guy like Anthony Davis or whatever it might be. But um, there are going to be some moves in this offseason that shock us, be it you know, in the, on the Brooklyn Nets or, or other teams because there is just so much so much riding on this offseason. It's it's going to determine, you know, the, the outlook of the NBA probably for the next five to ten years. So um, how you set yourself up in this offseason could determine your organization franchise's trajectory for the next uh, short-term and, and to post-long-term future. Yeah, I mean, your relevancy is up for grabs right now. I mean, you could make or break if you sign Kevin Durant or Kawhi or you sign one of the other stars or maybe you end up overpaying the wrong guy and now all of a sudden your books are kind of screwed for the next five years. So obviously a lot can come out of this offseason. But Jack, any other final thoughts or questions you got for D'Angelo Russell? No, nah, what's that website again? I want to get one of those Brooklyn Buzz t-shirts. <laughs> Design tree slash off the glass. You can also find it at com up on the menu tab. You just hit the shop button, and there you go. So definitely hook yourself up with a Brooklyn Buzz tee. We'll probably try to get you guys some discount codes moving forward, and you can check us out, obviously, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, at netsrepublic.com, OTG-radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.